0: Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we conclude our series with author and conference speaker Micah Van Hus looking at the scriptural mysteries that we find all around us. Southwest Radio Ministries and Watchmen on the Wall are celebrating 90 years of proclaiming the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Monday, we announced the single largest gift the ministry has ever received, and we detailed how you can help double that gift. Meeting the mission. This is our special effort to match the gift. Now, when you give to Southwest Radio Ministries, your gift will be matched. $25 becomes 50 $50 becomes $100 and so on. You will double your impact and ensure that Watchmen on the Wall and all of our ministries will be able to bring clarity to the chaos for many years to come. Friends, would you consider giving $90 in recognition of our 90th anniversary? Like all gifts given at this time, your support will be doubled and go toward meeting the match. 1-800-652-1144. That's the number to call and show your support for SWRC. You can also be part of the match by giving on our website, swrc.com. Now, let's once again join Dr. Larry Spargiamino and Micah Van Hus as they continue their look at the marginal mysteries that are all around us.
1: The Bible is, of course, a fascinating book, but it is not just a book. It is the revelation of the divine mind. It is a book of mysteries that need to be studied and understood. Some of the mysteries are marginal mysteries, but they are an important part of the biblical revelation. Very important. And Micah Van Hus is back with us for a second program. He is the author of The Earth As It Was. In a few minutes, we'll tell you how you can get your own copy of that book. We were talking about the Watchers. I think you have a few more things to say about the Watchers. And, of course, the Book of Enoch, you referred to that in in line with the Watchers. So maybe you could go from about the Watchers and then answer the question, is the Book of Enoch a reliable source?
2: Well, let's answer those questions kind of together because the Book of Enoch and the Watchers go hand in hand. And we do have backup in Scripture. We left off with the Watchers teaching forbidden knowledge to mankind. Let's connect the Bible stories. So, the Bible is truth. The book of Enoch, I do not take as the inspired word of God. I take it as another historical book, though, after having studied it, I think it is correct, but I do not take it as inspired. I take the 66 books that we have in the King James as inspired. So, in the book of Enoch, the watchers teach all kinds of forbidden knowledge to mankind. They have come down and taken wives from among women, they have had offspring with them. These giants destroyed the earth so that God sent the flood. They destroyed the animals. They corrupted the bloodline of mankind. So we come over to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18, 19, and 20, I believe they are. Jesus Christ dies on the cross. His body is in the ground for three days. The first thing that Jesus does when his body is dead is he goes down into the abyss, and he ministers to the spirits that made trouble in the days of Noah. So this is exactly what's going on in the book of Enoch. God tells Gabriel to bind up Azazel and cast him into the valleys and put rocks on him until the great day of judgment. He tells Raphael to bind Shemyaza and do the same thing to him. He tells Uriel to go warn Noah of the flood. And he tells Michael, I believe it's Michael, to cause the giants, the Nephilim, to war against each other. So most of the giants killed each other before the flood and whatever was left over the flood wiped out. But these Nephilim, the book of Enoch says that there's no place for them in the spiritual realm because they're half angelic, half human. So their spirits must roam the earth, and they are the evil spirits that are on the earth today. They cause mankind to fight against each other. They cause mankind to be evil to each other. They cause mankind to war. They cause diseases. They cause all kinds of bad things among humankind. That's how the book of Enoch says that the demons came to be. But God tells uh, his archangels to bind the watchers into the pit until the great day of judgment. Well, in First Peter, Jesus dies on the cross, he goes down into the abyss, and he proclaims his victory to the spirits that made trouble in the days of Noah. That's First Peter. Jude pretty much quotes the book of Enoch when it says, the angels which kept not their first estate, he hath reserved in, everlasting, in chains and everlasting darkness until the judgment of the great day. While the book of Enoch, I do not believe, is inspired, most of the New Testament authors, if not all of them, were scholars of the book of Enoch. Now, One other point, Jesus calls some book that we do not have in our Old Testament, he calls it scripture. I'm not saying it's the book of Enoch, but let's, let's talk about the story. I think it's Matthew 24 and Mark 12. But the Sadducees are tempting Jesus. They're trying to trick Jesus, and they say, If a man marries a woman and he dies, his brother marries her and he dies, his brother marries her and he dies, whose wife is she in heaven? And Jesus replies, Know ye not the scriptures, because you are as the angels of God in heaven, which are neither married nor given in marriage. Well, that does not appear in Old Testament. So Jesus right. calls something scripture that is not in the Old Testament. Now, the book of Enoch does say that, but I'm not saying that Jesus is calling the book of Enoch scripture. But he is calling something scripture that is not in the Old Testament. So there are sources out there that could be truth. But a lot of folks will say that Bnei Ha'elohim, these sons of God in Genesis chapter 6, are, are not angels, but they're humans. They're the godly line of Seth. And they will use what I just said, Matthew chapter 24, for they are as the angels of God in heaven. They are neither married nor given in marriage. They will use that to say that, well, these can't be angels because Matthew says that they don't marry. Well, first of all, Matthew says the angels of God don't marry and the angels of God in heaven don't marry. Well, the story of the Watchers are angels who rebelled against Elohim and decided to come down to the earth. They knew that God would banish them to a mortal death. I disagree. Now, Job chapter 1 and 2, the Bnei Elohim, they meet with God in heaven, and that's when Satan walks among them. And we talk about Job and, and Satan trying to kill, uh, destroy Job's life. Well, first of all, these Bnei Elohim are in heaven with God. So these are not humans. There are other points in Scripture, Second Peter chapter 2, uh, that talk about the angels which are cast into the abyss, reserved into the judgment. Now, the idea of angels taking on human form and touching humans should not be foreign to us as Christians. There are plenty of stories in the Bible where angels with good intentions take on a physical form and they touch humans. With Lot in Sodom, three angels meet Abraham. One of them is actually God. And this is where they tell uh, him that Sarah will have a child at 90-some years old. And she laughs in the tent doorway and gets in trouble for that. God stays behind with Abram, and the two angels go to Sodom. And they actually grab Lot and his family by the hand and pull them out of the city. Also, the angel of the Lord wrestles with Isaac, I believe, wrestles with him. These angels eat with Abraham. So there are many instances in the Bible where angels eat food with humans. They touch humans. So the idea of angels, uh, fallen angels, doing what they did and taking women, just as Genesis chapter six says, should not be something that's foreign to us as Christians.
1: Well what is the heavenly council of Elohim in Psalm eighty-two? You mentioned that in our previous program, but that's really important. That's an eye opener, so please explain that.
2: So it will be a part of the basis for my fourth book, Angels Eternal, War of the Princes, that right now I'm writing Secret Societies, but my next book will be Angels Eternal, War of the Princes. So the Heavenly Council of Elohim in Psalm 82, we talked about it a little bit earlier Psalm 82 is one of the most mysterious pieces of of scripture in the Bible, if not the most mysterious chapter. Fascinating. Elohim, capital Elohim, sits among the Elohim, lowercase Elohim. So God sits, is translated in the King James, God sits among the gods and judges them. They judge each other. And he's unhappy with how they're treating the inhabitants of the earth. And he says, if you do not fix this, I will cast you to the earth like one of the princes. Well, is he talking about, Satan in Revelation, the prince that is cast from heaven, is he talking about the watchers who descend on Mount Hermon and rebel against Elohim? Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, I believe that God gives 70 nations to 70 angels to rule over. This is the point in Scripture where God chooses Israel as his own people. Then this is backed up. This idea is backed up in Daniel chapter 10 and other places in the Bible. But Daniel chapter 10, Michael is warring against the prince of Persia, Gabriel, and Michael is warring against the prince of Persia, a fallen angel. This is not a human. The prince of Greece will come also. Daniel chapter 12 says that Michael is the prince of Israel. So fascinating topic. We'll get into that in my fourth book, Angels Eternal.
1: Well, the next question I think is also extremely fascinating. Who were the Nephilim and what happened to the Nephilim?
2: So the Nephilim were the offspring of the watchers and human women. They were giants. They were men of renown, men of old. And we read about them all through Scripture. When we're talking about Joshua and his conquest of conquering the nations around Israel. I always wondered as a kid growing up why in some instances God told Joshua to kill the women, children, and animals, not just conquer the army. Well, as an adult, after realizing what's going on with the Watchers and the Nephilim, what's going on, I realized in reading through that every instance where God tells Joshua to kill the women, children, and animals to wipe them out, they are a race of giants, the Anakim, the Rephaim, the Zimims, Mm. Every single instance, they are a race of giants. So what God did with the flood of Noah, also with telling Michael the archangel to cause the Nephilim to kill each other before the flood, and then sending the flood to finish wiping out the giants, I don't know how they came back, but they came back. And now Joshua is responsible. Moses' army kills King Og of Bashan. King Og of Bashan's bed of iron was 18 feet by 9 feet. Whether that's what he slept in or what he was buried in, that's still a, a big man. Moses was killing them. Joshua was killing them. King David is really the last time that we chronologically read about the giants as Goliath and Goliath's family. But King David kind of finishes it off. But that's the last time the Bible really mentions it. So these are the giants in scripture and their spirits are the demons that roam the earth, as we talked about last time a little bit. To back up again, the book of Enoch says that when man could no longer satiate the giants, The giants began to eat mankind and drink their blood. Well, when you read Scripture, I think it's 1 Samuel, when you read Scripture and it talks about the spies going into the land and they come back and they say that we're as grasshoppers in their sight. Well, that same passage, it says the the land is filled with people that eat the inhabitants of the land. Well, I never caught that right. until I realized that the giants were eating humans in the book of Enoch. That scripture yeah. also says that they were the giants were eating people, which is another fascinating topic when we talk about history from the book of Enoch. So into modern days, we have all kinds of stories of giants, giant skeletons all over the world. But here in the United States specifically, all kinds of stories of giants having six fingers. Scripture says in First Samuel that they have six fingers. We have stories of, of American Indians. Depictions of six fingered feet and toes all over. I mean dozens of, of petroglyphs, hieroglyphs of of drawings of six fingers and six toes. Now, why did American Indians show their hands as a greeting? They raise their hand and they say, How that was to see how many fingers you had on your hand. The Old World Roots of the Cherokee is a book that writes tells about the giants that were in Tennessee, the giant skeletons they found in Tennessee, and how If you would show your hand and you only have five fingers, that proved that you did not have giant's blood in your veins. You may not have been a giant, but you still had giant's blood in your vein with six fingers. So that gave you a proclivity to violence, bloodlust. And so the Indians would show each other their hands just to see. And that's backed up with a, a couple of different sources on the old war roots of the Cherokee being one of them. So what happened to the giants? Could they still be alive today? I was in Afghanistan from 2010 and 11 And I didn't see any giants while I was there, but I've heard stories from soldiers who talk about the giant of Kandahar, also the giant of Kundar, and how the giant of Kandahar killed a soldier with a spear, and they ended up killing the giant. It had six fingers, six toes, and two rows of teeth, and they loaded it up in a net on the helicopter and flew away with it, and of course the soldiers never saw from it or heard from it again. We have accounts of pilots, two different pilots in Afghanistan, talking about one who carried a giant off. Another one who would surveil tribes in the mountains and seeing giants through their thermal scopes that were three times the size of the other guys around them. Another story, the giant of Kundar in Afghanistan of seeing through his thermal. Now, see, we were given thermal in state platoon when I was in Fallujah. I loved using the thermal because you could see field mice in the field. You could see everything. <laughs> and so we love using the thermal at nighttime. And so the story of the giant of Kundar was a soldier who was given a thermal scope And he would scan the mountains, and he saw a human that was taller than all the trees around him. All kinds of stories of giants. Are they still around? It's fascinating to think about, fascinating to study. But we have dozens of giant skeletons from the 1900s, pictures of giant mummies and skeletons. And it seems that there's a cover-up by the Smithsonian in the early 1900s where they start to remove these giant skeletons from the museum's take these skeletons and and cover them. Dozens of of articles, uh, some from the New York Times, early 1900s of giant skeletons being found. So I think there is a cover up from the Smithsonian. I think in the early 1900s, it wasn't an attempt to get people not to believe the Bible because the Bible was the only thing talking about these giants. Just like a lot of things in secular history, they're afraid that it's going to prove God's existence. So they get rid of it. Fascinating stuff.
1: Well, friends, we're visiting with Micah Van Hus. You can get your own copy of his book, The Earth, as it was, and just call our toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. Now, we're covering a lot of material. You'll find this in the book. You want to go back to the book, read the book, study the book. There's lots of stuff. In that book, I really mean it. And people ask a lot of questions about the early chapters of Genesis. And here we have factual information. It's written very clearly. You can understand what it's talking about. Well-researched, and it will be very, very helpful to you. The book is titled, The Earth As It Was. Give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. Micah, what was different about the antediluvian world? So there were a number of things
2: different. So I believe that there was a layer of ice in the air. Some people say a layer of water. That's the canopy theory. I believe it was a layer of ice that would stop the sun's UV rays from coming in and causing harmful mutations to humans, which causes cancer and other things. So humans live to be in their 900s through not only the blocking of the UV rays, but also through perfect vegetation, vegetation that gets amazing nutrients from creation, even for a thousand years after creation. So you got giant plants. Giant animals, I speculate that humans before the flood were actually probably 12 feet tall. What we see in the fossil record Mm -hmm. is all the animals and plants, with the exception of insects, are basically twice the size that they are today. So that would lend credence to the idea that humans were probably twice as big as they are today, just because of all the extra nutrients, the lack of genetic mutations, the perfect genes. Now, insects actually get bigger than twice as big because insects don't breathe through their lungs. Insects breathe through their skin. So, in the antediluvian air with an ice canopy, evolutionists will say in the prehistoric world, air contained 31% oxygen. Today, air contains 20% oxygen. So, there's more oxygen in the air, and evolutionist scientists know this because amber is tree sap that catches insects, catches air bubbles, and hardens. And when you pull oxygen bubbles out of the, that amber, the oxygen is 31%. So, mm-hmm. in the antediluvian world, there was more oxygen in the air. Dinosaurs have nostrils the size of horses and lungs the size of horses. 80-foot-tall bronchiosaurs have the same lungs and nostrils size as a horse. Well, in today's world, a bronchiosaur would suffocate because they can't get enough oxygen. But in the antediluvian world, with more oxygen in the air, the plasma part of our blood, which is the liquid part, carries oxygen. Today, only the red blood cells carry oxygen. Atmospheric pressure would be 1.6 times what it is today. With the increased pressure and extra oxygen... Animals and humans don't need as much oxygen uh, like we would today. So humans could run for hours without getting fatigued. And giant dinosaurs would be able to breathe with their tiny nostrils and lungs. It was a very different atmosphere. I do not believe that it rained in the antediluvian world. In fact, Scripture says in Genesis chapter 2 or 3, that God caused a mist to come out of the ground to water the plants because, and this is what King James says, because it had not yet rained in those days. Mm -hmm. So I believe that the firmament was not the clouds we see in the sky, so there was no rain. So when Noah's flood happened and the windows of heaven were opened and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, I believe that the firmament was broken and therefore rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, a comet impact would have definitely broken the ice canopy. But scripture says that not all the flood waters came from the sky, that a lot of it came from the fountains of the great deep breaking up. Right. I believe that the earth that was Pangaea broke apart into multiple continents and the pressure involved in breaking up the continents shot rocks and water into outer space, broke the canopy, and then it ended up raining for 40 days and 49. So the earth was uh, vastly different. And of course, we cover that and a lot more in the book.
1: Well, there is so much of great interest and significance happening before the Flood, so that raises the next question. How advanced was mankind's technology before the Flood?
2: I believe that mankind could have been more advanced in their technology than we are today. Uh, We talked a little bit last time about ancient monuments, the stones involved in building the pyramids, and the stone of the pregnant woman, giant stones, that we couldn't move today without a stationary crane. Mobile cranes can't move a lot of these rocks. Also, Machu Picchu, sites so all around the world, Machu Picchu's in South America, these rocks have been melted with laser precision and placed together. There's one mm. of the rocks, I think it's Machu Picchu, one of the rocks has 12 different angles cut into one rock. If you look That's at pictures lot. of Machu Picchu, it looks like kinda like a honeycomb rock wall. I mean, you can't even put pieces of paper between these rocks. And the angles cut into them are, are just amazing.
1: Now, is this in Peru or Bolivia? or
2: Machu Picchu, I think it's Peru. I think it's Peru. Okay. But, but Machu Picchu, a fascinating site. What you see all around right. the world at Machu Picchu, at the at the temple below the Great Pyramids at Egypt, Gobekli Tepe, what you see are cruder building techniques on top of better building techniques. So an advanced civilization built the original buildings and then the Egyptians came along afterwards or other the Aztecs, Incans, other civilizations came along and found these buildings and ruins or conquered them or however and started building on top of them. And you can see clearly in some of the pictures that the walls are like there's two layers of walls and the top layers are just like crude compared to what's on the bottom. The technology that man possessed before the flood could have been greater than what we have today. It could have been very different, too. We chose to go down the technology of electricity. We do work in magnetism, but it wasn't like our main branch. Electricity was our main technology branch 100 years ago, and we have pursued electricity. But what could we have done? What can we do with magnetism? There's all kinds of different technology trees that we have not put a lot of research into. What were they doing before? And I want to talk about one thing I speculate that there was a nuclear war before the flood of Noah. And I'm going to back that up. That's a, that's an amazing claim, but I'm going to back that up. Let me read a few words from the Rig Veda, which is an ancient Hindu text that was written 3,500 years ago. So I'm going to read a few words that were written 3,500 years ago, and you tell me this does not sound like a nuclear weapon. A single projectile charged with all the power of the universe – An incandescent column of smoke and flame as bright as 10,000 suns rose in all its splendor. It was an unknown weapon, an iron thunderbolt, a gigantic messenger of death, which reduced to ashes an entire race. And then it goes on to say that the armor on the army, the two armies have met together on a battlefield. The armor on the flesh of the men melted to their skin. For hundreds of years, you could not grow plants at those locations. Women wow. ha- gave birth to mutated children for hundreds of years. And today, today in India, Mahinodaru is one of the cities and the other city is a long word that starts with an R. But today in India, those two cities have skeletons. That they, scientists say that the cities are 10,000 years old. They have skeletons that are more radioactive than the skeletons at Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So there's wow. something that went on in India That sounds a whole lot like a nuclear war. So what kind of technology did they have before the flood? I don't know, but it's fascinating to study.
1: I've got a lot of reading, but I've never heard of that before. But it's very persuasive, the fact of the radiation, the problem with birth and so forth. That is absolutely amazing. But here's a big question. What about the dinosaurs? How did man and dinosaurs, these savage beasts, live together? And how do they survive without wiping out the human race? They didn't live
2: together very well, is my speculation. I think one of the reasons that we have so few dinosaurs today being alligators for sure is that the more dangerous creatures were hunted to extinction. We have artwork from 100 AD, Roman artwork of men hunting what looks like a velociraptor in 100 AD and some Roman mosaic work. We have a beautiful carving of a stegosaurus on the temple in Cambodia, but it was built in 1200 AD, 800 years ago. The tomb of Bishop Bell in 1496 has carvings of titanosaurs on it. Of course, they didn't have the Internet, but they still probably had images of what dinosaurs looked like. But again, this is a civilization without Internet. I mean, how did so many people know what these dinosaurs looked like? Well, let's get in beyond that. The Ica stones are a collection of over 500 stones found in South America, and they have carvings of dinosaurs all over them. Not only do they have dinosaurs, they have humans riding dinosaurs on these stones. But what's Mm. fascinating is a number of these stones, a number of these dinosaurs, have skin texture drawn onto these stones, carved into these stones on the dinosaurs. Now, modern science did not discover skin of dinosaurs until 1997. So a, a lot of these drawings of dinosaurs, especially pre 2000. We're just guessing what the dinosaurs looked like on the outside. We have their bones, but, you know, did they have feathers? Did they not? Did they have scales? Did they look like this, that, and the other? So you'll see an evolution of artwork of dinosaurs since the year 2000. The first fossilized skin was found in 1997. So how did these South American natives 500 years ago draw texture of these dinosaur skins? So I do believe that dinosaurs have lasted a lot longer than people like to say. Of course, evolutionists, I'm not really worried about what they think because obviously they have an agenda in mind to disprove God and and be free from his authority. So as a Christian, I do know that humans and dinosaurs were created on the same day. So it's not a problem for me. It's a fascinating topic. There's over 3,000 dinosaur carvings from Mexico and some of them have people riding the dinosaurs. But these are clay moldings of different types of dinosaurs and there's over 3,000 of them. And it's like, how did these people know how to do this unless they had actually seen these things.
1: Wow. (laughs) There's so many questions I want to ask. But the flood is very, very important. I think the Bible gives it a big space, lots of information about the flood, about its effects and so forth. So is there any evidence today that a universal worldwide flood happened? Absolutely. So there are over 270
2: ancient cultures that say the world was destroyed by a flood. 71 of those, I believe 71 say that the reason for the global flood is because the one God had become angry with the many gods. This is exactly the story we're reading in the Bible. So other than ancient stories of which, it's such a stretch. It is such a stretch for an evolutionist to say that there was no global flood. It is directly in the face of trying to deny the Bible. Let's take a moment to recognize that evolutionists are under a tremendous amount of pressure— to deny God's existence because they will be excommunicated from their religion of evolution and thus lose their respective jobs in their universities or whatever they're doing. So you cannot believe evolution without faith. No person has ever seen evolution in action. That is the changing from one kind to another. Not adaptation, but the changing one kind to another. I will admit that mine is a religion. I think evolution should admit that theirs is too.
1: Well, fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Micah, thank you so much for for being on the show. Thank you so much for the book, The Earth As It Was. It's a wonderful addition to our collection of Bible-based books. That's one of the things that's really happening at Southwest Radio Church. More good books, and yours are a real addition. Thank you so much, brother. Wonderful, wonderful programs. Thank you, Dr. Spurgeon. Friends, the title of the book, The Earth As It Was, or toll-free number, 1-800-652-1144. We covered a lot of ground. All of this is in the book. You'll want the book, The Earth As It Was, 1-800-652-1144.
0: The Marginal Mysteries Collection is available for you today books and DVDs on the ancient cities and the gods who built them, the brand new book, The Earth As It Was, and the book answering questions about Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and UFOs, the book entitled Marginal Mysteries. Order these outstanding resources today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order on our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, we go back into the radio vault as we continue our 90th anniversary celebration. Noah Hutchings will be revealing the 25 Messianic signs in Israel. Be sure to tune in. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit SWRC.com.